Welcome to Cross Section, a show discussing all things design and construction. Your hosts, Alex Regnery, project manager and self-proclaimed recovering architect, and myself, Nathaniel St. Jean, registered architect and builder, tackle the vast spectrum of our fields. Whether you're a seasoned pro, student, or just generally curious about the industry, there's something for everyone. And don't worry, there's plenty of nonsense and humor to lighten the mood. So let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. As always, Nathaniel and Alex, except this time we brought a special guest with us onto the Cross-Section Podcast. We're going to have some interesting discussions today with Dr. Anat Ashed. Welcome to the show, Anat. Thank you so much, Alex and Nathaniel. This is exciting. Um, I can't wait to start talking about uh, Minecraft. So I am a faculty with the College of Engineering at Southern New Hampshire University. Been thinking a lot about the future of higher education and the future of engineering education. And um, can't wait to have some rich conversation here. Yeah, perfect. We're very excited to have you on here. So once again, we're tapping into our SNU connections here. But I think you're actually, out of all the shows we've done, I think, Alex, we've done, what, right around 12 shows, I think? Probably about a dozen, yeah. You are the first person on the show in the first episode that surrounds the topic of engineering. We've been Ooh. avoiding it for a long time. <laughs> Is there a good reason for avoidance? <laughs> Complete, completely scared. <laughs> <laughs> so so th- be thankful that it's uh, remote right <laughs> yeah we we seem to have a bias on our show at least for the first 12 episodes around uh design and construction and we said you know what we actually did say the show was supposed to also include engineering so let's have someone who knows a little bit about or a lot about engineering on the show so we we uh invited you Great. I think design is a common theme. I think we're more alike than different. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And maybe that's actually a good place to start, right? Um, looking at it, maybe just through the, the lens of education, but the link between design and engineering. Because what a lot of people don't know is that engineers also delve into the, in, into the design aspect in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, if if I think about the spectrum of experiences as, you know, from the lens of the faculty that designs education with the idea of, you know, preparing students to a wide range of jobs, some of them are designed, some of them, um, you know, more um, in the manufacturing, the testing area, some of them even might go to entrepreneurship. So design is a big component. And, And the way we introduce design especially at the beginning in our program at, at Southern New Hampshire University, is more towards um, um, understanding and empathizing with the user, which I think another place where we, you know, you as architects and, and kind of, you know, more into the construction management area understand or relate to this. So we, we emphasize a lot the, the empathy with the user to kind of um, um, help students understand the impact of their job and, and prospective career in engineering. So, so yes, design is an important feature. And as we go, the students go through our program, they get more and more technical skills and, and eventually 
um, you know, end up with a capstone that mimics the work environment. Um, so they go through design process. I think the design process, we might have different stages, different names, different terminology, but it's really universal, right? It's, it is guidelines to go through and make sure that, you know, you do your research, you understand the issues, you, you know, use the specific tools and specific uh, tools that are designed to solve the problems within your discipline. But really the design um, process itself is, is quite universal. So whether it's, a, I mean, I don't see a reason why uh, architecture students, construction management students, engineering students couldn't be thrown in one class that, that's called design. Yeah, I agree with that completely. All, all you know, is the architects sort of typically or, or traditionally thought of as, um, you know, paper designers and someone else creates uh, the, the, the sort of con traditional construction piece is constructors construct um, and the, but the integration of those two things more and more these past maybe a couple decades and with technology it really brings those things together and 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 of course engineering completely part of that as well I, I completely agree and I, and I think that when you think about this integrated uh, experiences one of the huge um, you know, skill set or exercises that, that students kind of go through is how do you communicate with someone that's not exactly in your discipline, right? I mean, in any profession, you have to communicate with people that are not quite like you. So, so this design experience, uh, I think, allows us to craft a lot of soft skill development and experiences with them as well. What... Um Courses in particular, you know, have you been teaching in engineering at SNU or not? So I'm. Um, You're probably involved with um, many of them, but. Yeah, the, the course, I mean, talking about design, that's, that's the course I like the most. It's a freshman design course. It's mm -hmm. taking the students that come in for the first time. And a lot of the times you talk to students and it's not quite clear that they know why they want to be engineers, right? So sure. crafting this experience for them that shows them what, you know, what their discipline is, right? And then the design process um, and get them excited about the impact that they can make, um, you know, in, in a world to solve problems. Um, that's, that's my favorite class. And we do a lot of, uh, in this class, we do a lot of work with nonprofits. So I really want to bring to students the social impact aspect of their potential work. So yeah. that's one of the classes that, you know, I oversee and, and teach and love. Um, my area of specialty is more material science. So I teach materials classes. So um, material, if you think about materials in terms of engineering, um, it's, it's kind of... It's, um, um, a spine of, of, of courses, right? Anything from statics to, you know, really understanding the processes around materials and materials behavior. So I taught statics, mechanics of materials, the pure material science. Um, and then um, 
you know, I, I kind of taught a little bit outside of engineering. I taught uh, construction management class and I taught a chemistry class. So I'm, I'm a, a jack or jill of all trades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I have a question for you about, in, in uh, speaking to your, your freshman design class and um, trying to help them understand, the, as you said, the impact of the, the, the work. When do, you th when do you start seeing that, that they see that? Oh, um, yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. So it depends, right? But I'll give you an example. So I'll, t I'll tell you a couple of stories about that. So we work with um, the water project in Concord, New Hampshire, and they um, allowed us generously to work with one of their sites in um, um, Kakamega, Kenya, which is a site that has... Um, we, we specifically worked with the high school for girls over there, mm. and there's a lot of water management issues, and that's really the social problem that the students are uh, working on. And I think this aha moment for a lot of students come very early on in the design process when they do their research, and they understand the lack of equity um, that, that is part of this social issue. Mm. And then as they go through and start thinking about the design, they understand that they can actually make an impact. And, and in fact, one of the designs uh, actually ended up in the field being implemented and, and knowing, and I keep telling these stories to students, to freshmen as they come and see, a couple of classes ago, one of the teams that had a solution, as freshmen already have it in the field. So, um, so I think, I think um, crafting this experience and, and kind of getting them engaged in the social impact of their, um, of their work or studies and then showing them that it's not far-fetched that freshmen, even at their you know, level, um, have enough, you know, are, are dangerous enough to actually create a solution that can be usable. I think it's, it's very impactful. Well, I think that's great that you uh, bring that aspect of it, those social issues into your classes. That's so important. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it, it the other thing too, it, regardless of, I guess, what the project would be or who the client is, it's the fact that you're working with a real client on these real projects, right? So for the students, it becomes that much more uh, embedded into what they're going to be doing outside of the classroom, right? So you're basically... It, blowing up the classroom and throwing them into the real world already. Yeah, and I think um, um, this is really important. And, you know, when you think about the, the you know, the level and, and the concern that, you know, freshmen with a real client, you know, that's part of the reason why I, want to, I wanted to work with nonprofit and not an engineering client because it's less intimidating. But as you said, Nathaniel, it's really important in my mind to, to bring this authentic experience uh, as much as possible. Um, so, so they'll see the impact, they'll fall in love, if you will, with the profession. So it's a lot of sales in this class, <laughs> sell to them, right? Um, and I think, I think the other piece, and maybe, maybe that's you know, one of the things that's on my mind quite a bit, is how do we think about not necessarily just engineering education, STEM education and education 
um, period as this place that connects students to jobs. And I think we are still, we as a higher ed, um, you know, um, in general, we don't do a good job yet in making these connections, right? We don't understand or don't connect the skill set necessarily that, that employers want with, you know, um, um, directly to, to students learning and make this relevant to them as, as we go. I think we have a lot of room to grow you know, in, in there. How do we start making, improve? how do we start improving on that? Yeah, I think, you know, that's something I'm thinking about a lot. It's, um, I don't think it's possible to do without engaging industry in the design. And I think the way yeah. traditional higher education has been working so far that it's, it's so siloed and so, you know, faculty owns the design of a program and, you know, we are the experts. I think we are missing a lot of opportunities to connect with industry and be agile and respond to what the industry needs and really bring in the language of the skill sets to the students and to, to, to the activities um, and, and kind of think about designing it this way rather than, oh, you have to take calculus and we have a textbook for it and you have to take, I don't know, statics and, and there's a textbook for it, right? So it's a different mindset. Yeah, and it's actually, what's most interesting about this at this moment in time is the there's that seismic shift that's beginning to occur because a lot of prospective students, whether they're traditional high school graduate students or they're uh, learners coming back into education, they're basically beginning to question more than ever the value in that education, right? Because they don't see or the perception is that there is a gap between higher ed and professional industry, and that needs to change. Right, and I think I think it's evident on the other end as well. I mean, you see Amazon with all of their training and Google with also, so large companies start to have their own training because they realize that, you know, they need something else. Uh, they need some, some other type of training or something that higher ed is not necessarily given at this point. Um, you know, to, to, to employ. And actually, I just looked at it the other day, the Bureau of Labor Statistics talks about um, 800,000 jobs open in STEM between now and 2029. And we just not doing fast enough job or good enough job to really match what the industry needs. Right. Yeah, economically, there's, there's a huge demand for it, but the supply being us, there, there aren't enough people going into it. Right, right. So if you think about the input, the, the, you know, the number of students, how can we attract more? How can we develop more pathway that open the door? And again, I'll just focus on STEM and maybe engineering. Open the door to engineering jobs and the engineering professions to students who right now just can't access it. Is that the math is too difficult. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking to that, do you still feel that um, STEM students in general is a pretty undiverse population? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not, I, I feel and I, you know, again, I, I was browsing some data the last week to kind of look at that. There's, there's a lot of studies and um, of course, it's, 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 a, it's a very one dimensional um, type of student that goes to STEM and um, I'm actually um, working right now on an NSF grant for um, um, racial equity in STEM and that's, that's part of the reason why I was, you know, kind of diving into this data. Um, you think about girls in STEM, for example, um, that has nothing to do with the racial equity, but mm -hmm. girls in STEM, it's some, 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 something that I was looking at. Um, if you ask girls, maybe at the end of um, elementary school, early middle school, if you're interested in STEM, you'll get pretty good response, yes. Mm -hmm. so happens, something happens uh, in their social environment in the middle school, early high school, that kind of draws them away from... Oh, here um, we go. It's that smartphone again. Alex, what are you showing us in there? <laughs> that damn phone. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few rants on the show about social media and what yeah. it is doing to the next generation of people. <laughs> but that is so interesting and so true because... All of my kids, I have three boys, and then the youngest, um, our number four, our fourth is a girl, our daughter. And, and so all of them in, in elementary grade school, especially like fifth and sixth grade, I remember the science fair projects. And everybody, not just the boys or just certain types of boys, everybody got into it. And it is so true about three, four, some years later, they just sort of float off somewhere else. We don't know where they are, you know, what they're doing, what's going on, but it, it really is interesting. I would like to know what the heck that is other than just being, you know, turning into a young teenager and being a kid and finding other interests is like, you know, I played violin for like three years um starting fifth or sixth grade and by the time i got to high school i'm like this is not cool you know and then 20 years later you're like oh why didn't i stick with that right i mean we've said that too and not not to go too far down this this rabbit hole but uh like the cognitive load of students from like middle school into high school is becoming so great that balancing all that is so challenging. Yeah. By the time they get into higher education, it's they, they really don't know. A lot of them don't know like what they want to do, right? They they have a small interest. They they think they know what engineering is or what an engineer does. The same with a construction manager or an architect. Then they get there and they're like, Oh my goodness, I had no idea that you could do this within engineering, for example. Anat, do you think it has something to do with you know, that primary education, particularly in high school, or, you know, when we talk about it's some, it's somewhere in there, kids kind of get lost in what they maybe were interested in as a younger kid. Um, but speaking kind of to that high school age, and um, I could go down a lot of rabbit holes with, you know, with things that I see in, in high school education and standardization and all that kind of stuff. But do you think that has a lot to do with some of these issues? 
I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. And I, you know, may, maybe I'll start by talking about my own two kids. So I have a boy and a girl, and they're both engineers. Oh, how did how'd you do that? Yes, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, our daughter said, well, you know, I didn't think you expected anything else of me on, out of me, so I went to become an engineer. It's just a joke. But, you know, I, I was thinking about how we condition or how does the environment um, influences choices, right? Especially at this age where social, you know, the social um, impact on decisions that young, um, you know, men and women make is, is so, so significant. And then you think about these ages and then you think about what do, let's say, young women enroll in college, even in the STEM. So you see it's more in the biology, it's more in the chemical uh, and maybe it's it's these areas that you know women see more direct impact on people, while you know the engineering is perceived more as a oh you get to build stuff and tinker a lot, and we don't necessarily see the direct impact. So maybe there's a little bit part of it that may differentiate why you know young women young women kind of tend to go to these different disciplines. Um, there's a lot of um, self-efficacy, you know, I'm not good at math, this is for boys, yeah. um, yeah. Know, a lot of that, these pieces. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, I think the, most, the more interesting thing is what can we do in higher ed? Um, and if we think that that is our job to kind of draw more, women and more students of color and other minorities into our programs, how can we change what we're doing and how can we make sure that, that um, you know, we draw people into this knowing that, you know, it's open for them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the other things that I'm looking at, you know, with this um, racial equity grant, just looked at students of color in our um, online um, uh, operations, we have a very, very poor retention um, uh, of students of color in STEM disciplines. And in the last decade, we see more and more young students, so students that are under 20, under 25, enrolling online learning, um, and they're missing the whole coming of age experience. So that's a whole another issue, right? And when you think about future higher education, so I'm kind of taking it to a little different place, but uh, I think it's all connected. We, we do know that um, we have to make a lot of changes and have to think very hard about the different segmentation of population and how we attract them with the change towards more hybrid type of learning and um, more skill-based learning to, to match to employment. So how do we, first of all, uncover why women students of colors either don't enroll or not successful and then how do we make the changes and make sure we advertise these changes and kind of you know encourage students to be to engage in these you know different types of problems yeah i think in uh episode two alex and i did a uh, talked about construction education kind of in a, in a broad sense in <laughs> It was very easy for us to conclude that it's it's quite complex, right? There is a everything is connected to everything else, and I think when we're talking about access, to st just STEM, but it could be access to higher education in general. 
it is incredibly complex and to get at the root cause of a lot of these issues is a, is a huge lift, right? It's a, it's a big undertaking. Right, right. But, but, you know, I think we all know that it's part of our responsibility, um, you know, to create the workforce. Um, and we know, you, we started this conversation about design. We know how much, you know, complex problem solving, um, you know, is, is benefits from diverse teams. So, you know, going back to the notion that we really have a majority of our students look the same in engineering. Mm -hmm. That is a problem. It's, it's a societal problem. And I think it's, it's part of, you know, part of what university, you know, uh, faculty is all about is trying to solve these issues and, 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 and create something that addresses these challenges. Yeah, we see similar issues in, in the construction management program for sure. I, yeah, I think it, you know, I think there's still those stigmas, um, people associating it with labor type of work and yeah. not fully understanding all these other opportunities, um, even as important as the labor part is, um, the, 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 the hands-on work, I mean, uh, but um, uh, with all these other opportunities in, in any of these industries, there's so many, you know, incredible avenues that um, I don't think most people are the ones who are who, who are opened up to that are the ones who are, you know, going into these programs and um, as opposed to being able to really advertise this or, you know, however that's done and uh, elsewhere with other other people. Right. Because those are the students who who knew or who. Yeah, their parents are in it or their family mm -hmm. are in it, right? And that speaks to access, right? Because there are yeah. a whole group of students who just do not know, right? They don't even know that that's an option. And that's a problem for us in, in general. It's like, how do you get to those students, right? To share that information. Yeah. Right. right. So, so, you know, I mean, when, when you think about STEM engineering construction, where you know, what kind of conversations you had about, about the future? How do we, how different will these programs look like 10 years down the road? Um, so, you know, the other pieces, right, we talked about, about who are the students we want to attract, but the students we have, we think about Gen Z. Gen Z has different needs than, you know, what we, what students had 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when these traditional prog you know, programs that we still kind of, you know, that still linger in our systems, you know, were designed for, right? So Gen Z, we also know is very, very practical, right? So they want to know what am I going to do with what I'm learning at any, every given time, right? So mm -hmm. when you think about the, the need to be practical, the need to open up, the need to um, understand the segment of population that we want to attract and we have and keep changing. And the other end is, is what industry wants. And really look hard at these signals from industry. And I'm sure construction is the same. There's certification now, certificates, um, you know, smaller, um, definitely not, not necessarily degree based credentials that are sufficient for certain jobs. Mm -hmm. So how can a higher ed, um, think about that in, in redesigning or embedding some of this in, in the design. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I have had conversations outside of this format where like 
students, uh, I mean, the future of higher education could be uh, a, like a menu of various offerings, right? And students can pick and choose items that they're interested in. They could pop in, they could pop out. The modalities can be changing. They don't have to be in a classroom. They could be in the workplace. They could be in a lab. I think that's what's all actually really fascinating is five, 10 to 15 years from now, higher education, I think is going to look, me personally, I think it's going to look very different because of yeah. that changing modality. I think, I think at least snow will look different because snow is definitely that, you know, innovative university that invests a lot in thinking about that. And I think the conversation we have now happens, you know, at very, very different many different levels that's new at this point around you know, how do we create that flexibility for students and, and accessibility with you know uh, containing the cost of, of education and still providing quality work that can be validated and verified so you know the workforce looks at that um, you know that um, you know young men and women and, and you know even non-traditional students that we have a lot um, even now coming to campus more and more uh, and say yes this is this is the exact education that we needed you know uh, and, and they're ready uh, as opposed to you know we see a lot of our students uh, and, and it's not just us you know they go to the job and they need to be trained for a long time until they get to a point where you know, they, they can do, you know, job and then start thinking about climbing up. So how can we do a better job to get them to start at a place that they're ready and they can climb up, you know, faster? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's actually really great. And I want to maybe pivot on that because we've been talking a lot about, yeah, education and how design kind of feeds into this and access, but to actually pivot and start at the very beginning with you like how did you get into all of this what is your background in your what was your career like and how did you get to this point to really be highly passionate about access in stem uh, yeah so well so i uh, oh there's a lot of yeah so you're asking <laughs> a question that everyone should kind of reflect on their own life and think about <laughs> Boy, how did I get here? <laughs> right? So, well, I am, first of all, I am, um, my PhD is in physics, actually, not in engineering. So I, uh, you know, there are only two female students in my class. So here is a, one piece of my experience that, you know, gets me to think a lot of, a lot about access to STEM and women in STEM, right? And then, um, I came here to the U.S., so I grew up and did all my schooling in Israel, came here to the U.S. and um, not really speaking the language. Uh, she has an accent, doesn't she? No. <laughs> not really speaking the language, and that kind of got me to experience uh, semi-language-based you know, learning disabilities. So it's another piece in me that kind of think about access. How can we design more universally? How do we have more empathy with students that might have some invisible disability or challenges that prevent them from, you know, progressing um, um, at the same pace than others? And then, um, you know, I actually, my life took a little pivot from my, you know, uh, you know um, um, physics and material science and engineering, and I spent some time 
studying about uh, assessment of cognitive functioning and how you can think about the profile of cognitive functioning of a person or, or learner and tailor the right learning um, experience to, to, to that and kind of did some work in the outside world, outside of academia, um, doing some assessments, doing some planning and working, you know, uh, with, with a wide range of cases and needs of students and helping them, um, you know, get what they needed. So I think this access and thinking about you know, the non-traditional and some, somewhat even the extreme cases, designing to the extreme, is something that I carried with me, you know, through my life experiences. So, uh, and, and I, um, on the, the other end of it, so that's my sensitivity to, to the need and, and, you know, kind of focusing a lot on access. The other piece of me is that, that creative piece. So I am... Um, I worked or volunteered, I guess, for 15 years in a program called Destination Imagination. And I uh, worked with many, many teams facilitating the creative problem solving. So to me, you know, creative thinking, it's, 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 it's in my blood and in my nature. So when I have a problem, you know, I immediately go and start thinking about all these, you know, ideas that, you know, uh, to me, sometimes when I talk about them, they look like the science fiction of higher education. But so, so it's the combination of the sensitivity and my tendency to kind of open, you know, be very open-minded and explore ideas that, you know, uh, I'm not afraid to share that might look a little wild. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that's from Alex and I's world there. I think we uh, <laughs> often find ourselves as architects and designers always in that kind of headspace. And that's why I think, uh, again, outside of this format, you and I have some pretty interesting conversations because we 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 think in a very similar way. Which is yeah. oh. it's fun. It's fun. It's it's um, there's a lot of challenges, right? So these are problems that are great to think about. They they make you wake up in the morning and say, I'm I'm in the right job in higher ed, right? Uh, thinking about students and how to make it happen, and then. You know, there are the challenges that we are still a very traditional type, this, you know, uh, uh, institution. Um, the way we educate, the way we do work, the way we're structured, someone sometimes um, is a problem for us in kind of pushing the envelope with ideas. But I think, um, so, so there's a lot of structural work to get us to have the right conditions to pursue a lot of these ideas. But... I think um, more and more in conversations I have with colleagues and, and you know, from within SNU and outside of SNU, I think um, we're at a point that we're ready to pursue a lot of these ideas pretty aggressively. Yeah, that's actually really exciting, right? Because I'll speak for you in, in a sense, you're at a location, you're at an institution that allows that, right? And enables that to occur. And SNHU kind of prides itself at being kind of at that forefront because they, they are really invested in, in doing that. How do you see other institutions of higher education kind of joining that? Because a lot of these other institutions, especially STEM institutions, like deeply rooted in traditional STEM education, they're, they're quite rigid. Yeah, so I think, I think it depends on the... On the 
I think it starts with the mission of the institution, right? Snow is really unique because accessibility is in the mission, right? And I think that's our uh, DNA, right? We have to, if we're here, that's our job. We have to think about it. We have to push the limit. Um, so I have a colleague from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, engineering, mm. and they, you know, they will not change radically, but we just had a couple of conversations in the last month, and she was telling me how they're starting to think about, um, you know, getting away from the notion of courses and going into, okay, so we spend a year in COVID, we have all this content now in pieces. Can we reorganize it to make it work for students, to make, to make um, you know, um, strings of, string of content that they may be able to consume more flexibly, that may make more sense in terms of packaging them, and when packaging, I mean, giving them a credential or maybe a badge, so it's gonna be relevant for students and they can kind of consume it in steps in a stackable way. So even institutions like, you know, the, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and it's a state system, and it's really big, they, they educate thousands, right? Um, mm -hmm. We are pretty small, you know, in, in our college or um, engineering um, still, um, they're, they're kind of pushing into, you know, points of innovation, uh, whatever they can do with the constraints of the institution. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, for SNU, it's, it's definitely an admission. Uh, for others, I mean, I, I worked at MIT for 11 years. They will not change. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't need to change. Do they want to change? I think they want to innovate, and I think you'll see... And actually, if you think about something that came out of MIT or affiliated with MIT edX, um, right. is, you know, came uh, edX CEO, um, um, you know, is a faculty at MIT. Um, so that's pretty innovative and he's pushing the limit with his organization <coughs> with micro bachelors. And again, making this connection between what students want to see and that's the relevancy and what the job market needs. Right, so they create a micro bachelor and a credential here and, and um, in a way that you can stack them and it doesn't necessarily give you a degree. Yeah, can you, for the listeners out there who don't know edX, can you maybe describe that? So edX um, is, so, so um, let me see if I can kind of search in my memory. I think it's over a decade ago, um, um, MIT, I believe it was MIT that had the first MOOC, massive online, you know, course. And um, so they learned how to do free online education because their mission was to share their knowledge and share their expertise in teaching, you know, um, um, globally. And out of that came um, edX. There's MITx, which kind of holds all the MOOCs from MIT. So MIT courses will be recorded and they will be housed in MITx, but edX is something that is more forward thinking and packages this education in, um, you know, these micro-credentials, micro-bachelors, uh, and really does a good job connecting these education pieces, if you will, to, to industry. So they work closely with industry and crafting what it is. So um, they have uh, 
Michael Butler and I, I will butcher it, I think it's in computer, I, I don't remember how it's called, but it has um, several courses that give you certain content in computer science, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think the last I looked to edX, there's actually a, a bunch of institutions that are involved in edX. So you could actually take, yeah, a, a cluster of courses through MIT or Yale. Yeah, yeah, a lot of bigger. And now Snow. So Snow has a Snow X right now. Ah, so we yeah. offer some courses on edX as well. Yeah, and it's, it speaks to the accessibility, right? I mean, anyone can take these courses for free. You just need kind of the, the time to take them. Yeah, for free, and um, I mean, you could get the certificate if you pay, it's a small amount. Uh, so again, accessible, globally accessible, very innovative, very tailored to industry needs. Um, and it's really interesting to follow what they do and how they think about the pedagogy in it and how they think about um, engagement in it, right, because one thing that we learn, I think uh, we all learn through this COVID is that it's really hard to uh, keep students engaged when you know, you are sitting in front of the Brady Bunch of uh, <laughs> 20 uh, black rectangles That's in a right. class. Um, so I, I think, I think they're, they're doing a tremendous job uh, in that arena. Yeah, and that actually kind of uh, leads into something else I wanted to get your thoughts on because Alex and I have done a lot of talking and thinking around what has, what are some of the silver linings that have come out of COVID from the educational lens? And one of it, at least from my perspective, is that we've highly leveraged our online learning platform and it really curated, highly curated the content, right? So that students were getting very concise, precise and accurate information that when we're back on campus, we don't want to lose that. And now it's going to be kind of crafting this experience for the students that's kind of multimodal, where they'll do some stuff in class, they'll do some stuff on an online format, they'll do stuff synchronously, asynchronously, live, not live. Is that in the cards for... I, you know, I, I think that hybrid, uh, flipped, blended, you know, however mm -hmm. combination, that is absolutely in the card. I mean, there's a cost driver that, um, you know, um, is, is part of it. But I think if, if I go back to your, to the silver line and I think about even bigger picture, one of the things that we all learned is that we have to innovate. We all innovated. We were forced to innovate. Mm -hmm. And we kind of learned as, as faculty to think about, okay, what do I need to change? How do I just, so we learn to be comfortable with this, I think. I hope that that's something that as a community of educators, you know, will take from this and say, yeah, maybe we can, you know, we can now share this with, with everyone and continue this kind of thinking that, you know, the constant is that we always need to learn. So, you know, learn and, and change, right? Um, so I'm hoping that we won't lose that, that if we won't go back to our old ways and, you know, just repeat what we're doing. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. I, I, I can't imagine in, in the environment that we work in at SNU, 
anybody's going to be going, anybody's go, going backwards, which is a good feeling. Um, yeah, flipped, hybrid. I like, I like the word blown up. Uh, when you had mentioned uh, your colleague, was it at Urbana-Champaign, about the, uh, getting rid of the course or the non-course or however you might phrase that, I, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I imagine is, you know, we've traditionally been take this content and try and, 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 try and spew all this content out. We spent a lot of time doing that. What I learned in this past year is being able to sort of take this content and, okay, place it over here and allow them to sort of have access to it and select because they're not going to retain all of it anyway. And it, it, but, but, and then when, once we do get back in the classroom, I don't know what it looks like yet. We're, I think we're also trying to figure that out, but how they have this real experience access to that content and you know it's just that i think that flexibility of of learning on their own and let them let them sort of discover things on their own yeah i i love that idea it's something that i think that's that's part of the future because right now when a student enrolls in a course if they don't download the material they lose it when the course closes right we have this the learning management system, you have access to the material when you're in the course, you don't, unless you, you know, took your notes and downloaded everything after, right? So if we start thinking about accessibility, right, and, and how do we take the content that we now um, develop through this year or little over a year of COVID and reorganize our programs with this content, and make sure it's available. Think also, um, you know, me teaching, let's say, a junior class, right? And I know that students come in and they, they have these little Swiss cheese, little holes in their knowledge and something that I thought they needed to know. And I said, hey, you know what? I see that you don't know. Instead of me spending two weeks, go, I'll assign you this unit that you have access to review it and I give you a few an assignment, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than me spending two weeks crafting this, mm -hmm. maybe it doesn't align exactly with what they learned from another, yeah. you know, instructor. Um, how, how wonderful that is, you know, can be for us, right? If we can pick up that content and say, you know what, I need this right now. And it's, you know, in the moment teaching. And, and I think, more often than not, we do see that some students struggle and we, don't, we are unable to fill these, you know, these gaps and holes. Right, which kind of leads into that whole retention issue, right? Because then the student will lose kind of that, that confidence and that drive to continue, right? And they could, they could leave. Right, and, and I think, you know, you, you know I, I'll use a construction metaphor. When you build on a shaky foundation <laughs> and you finish the statement, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Nothing else sits well, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it, it's so challenging because, again, I, I recall in, in that episode too when we talked about construction education specifically, I mean, it really does apply to education in general, is at what point along a person's educational journey does that foundation get built? Is it in higher education or is it sooner 
are they building the foundation along the way and then they get to this point of <laughs> coming of age at what is it, 18 years old and now they're solidifying their foundation because ultimately like our goal or at least from my perspective in, in for higher ed is to allow a student or a learner the ability for them to acknowledge that they have the ability to learn, right? That they become lifelong learners, they stay curious, and then they'll forever kind of stay curious and, and do better. But that doesn't always happen because that foundation is not always <laughs> sturdy or the house isn't fully built or something like this. But I do wonder that, right? Because where does that happen? It's, I think it's both, and I think we have to be really clear about expectation. You know, where do we want the students as they enter? And I'll just, I'll just use the engineering lens because engineering has some math requirement at this point, at least the engineering programs we have. Um, and the fact that, you know, if we look at their high school transcript and they did, you know, pre-calc, calc, um, does it mean that they really know what they need to know to progress, right? What does it actually mean? And, you know, the, the, other, the other end, so that's, that's um, you know, that's kind of knowledge prerequisites. The other thing you mentioned is more of the, you know, the, the learning right. skills, the skill set that they bring with them. Can they manage their time? Can they sustain work, right? Uh, can they transition well from a very structured environment in high school where they go to school, you know, at this time in the morning and get out and now they have their, you know, um, uh, athletics team mm -hmm. activities or, you know, violin Alex, uh, something like that, right? And now they come and they also have to manage time. And a lot of, when, we, when you think about snow, a lot of our students have competing demands uh, from family. They need to work, so they have to juggle a lot of the many, many hours of work a week. So you think about, again, going back to snow specific, you know, if the mission is accessibility, I do think it's our responsibility to pick the students where they are and kind of continue building these skills. We still don't do a good job in this because we really, I think the way we deliver our programs is, is through content, really just discipline content and not thinking about this as a responsibility. I mean, the dream for every, you know, freshman instructor would be that they'll come prepared. They know how to learn. So they come, right? And the job we ask them to do is to learn. And some of them don't know how to do this job. Right? So on top of prerequisite knowledge, there's this, like what Nathaniel described, you know, the being a lifelong learner, advocating for yourself, um, using resources, knowing when you need help. That sometimes is a do or die for freshmen because they realize, um, you know, mid-semester that, boy, I need help. And, you know, they're so down at this point that they just don't continue. Right? So um, it's, it's, it's interesting a lot when, when you think about the coming of age and, you know, I can't remember my first day of college. It's been very, very long ago. You come there, you know. <laughs> You want to show that you're grown up, that you can manage the world. You don't want help from anyone, right? You can do it. You know, you got in. You're king of the world. <laughs> day and one. Then, you know, um, reality yeah. kind of hits, right? So, oh, yeah. Day one, day yeah, two. Completely. <laughs> yes. You know, um, 
yeah, similar, similar experience and in, in with architecture school and, and I was, um, yeah, I was a little further ago than, than Nathaniel here in architecture school, but, um, just a couple of years. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, um, it w- would still exist today as some of the, these sort of, um, conventional ways we talk about like prerequisite knowledge, like architects need to be good at math, you know, which is just so incredibly not necessarily true. Um, and, you know, I, I had, um, I was getting all this information from different schools and, and stuff about um, physics and calculus and everything. And so I, I signed up for both of those courses, calculus first semester and absolutely buried. I, within three, four weeks, just absolutely buried. I thought I was good at math and I found out I, uh, uh, with a baseball bat that had calculus written on it, um, (laughs) that I, that I wasn't. And I went to the, um, to the assistant Dean and I said, Oh my, you know, he's like, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, well, I, I'm doing everything I possibly can in this course. And so long story short, he said, well, why are you taking it? And so I thought it was required. I thought I had to take take calculus, not in our program, you know? (laughs) So I think that's important too, right? It's just, just making, you know, just people sort of, you know, not being afraid of what they know and what their interests in interests are. And, and, and if there's things that they're not strong in, it doesn't mean you can't do it. Yeah. And I think that what you're saying ties a few things that we talked about together in my mind is, you know, they, they on, they need, especially for engineering, they need to be good in math because that's how we design the program. And I think that talking back in about design and diversity, this is why to really design the future engineering, we need Alex and Nathaniel and someone from humanities and not just engineering mm-hmm. faculty that learned it in mm-hmm. a traditional way mm-hmm. to sit together and design. You know, I, I think that's what's going to get yes. us out of the, you know, the tradition. That yes, we, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it, and again, I mean, every time I think of that, because I've thought about that for the construction management program, the more you can do that, the more it reflects the world in which we live, right? <laughs> engineers rarely work with just engineers. There are teams of stakeholders that bring these projects to life. The same with construction. So the more mm-hmm. a CM student is exposed to architects, civil engineers, mechanical engineers, right? Uh, the more they're going to be prepared when they graduate and enter the profession because they they won't have that kind of siloed mindset right because they'll already want to be engaging because that's what they experience as a student right and i think i think especially if i go back to my favorite class you know the freshman design experience if it's open to you know as a multidisciplinary stem design you know, that can provide this opportunity for students who think they want to be engineers but don't really know an exposure to other disciplines that are related that they might like better. And right now, the way we design our pathways doesn't give this flexibility to explore. 
without penalty of well, if I explore yeah, this I'm and I explore this, I'm adding a whatever. new to my yeah. studies. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot, of, a lot of ideas in this podcast. I think we go down a lot of rabbit it. holes. We solve it. <laughs> it'll, it'll definitely get listeners oh, thinking as absolutely. it heads off in, into the wild here and into many ears. <laughs> um, no, I think this is actually this was a great conversation i'm actually gonna maybe call this one a wrap so i'll toss it back to you for kind of some closing closing thoughts yeah i think um you know these issues i think first of all thanks for inviting me this is wonderful because um i think you know collaborative reflection on the status of higher ed stem engineering and kind of pushing each other to think a little bit outside you know these are the conversations that can help us you know, collaboratively figure out, imagine the future and get it done. Because nobody knows how it should look like, how it will look like. Um, and, and, you know, we can imagine together, we can put it in the context of reality and some of the limitations, but without these conversations, we cannot move forward. So I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really happy, you know, that we had this conversation that we were able to kind of push each other back and forth with ideas and questions and, uh, we'll see what happens. Snow, um, snow has some interesting future and interesting innovations coming up. So uh, we'll see where we get. Yeah. No. Well, as, uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on. We certainly yeah. learned Thanks a lot. lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am gonna call this one a wrap with Doctor Not a Shed. As always, listeners, you could. Listen to our podcast wherever you find your pods, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even over on our website at tectonicanow.com slash podcast. Until next time, see you later. Thanks, Anna. Cool.